Welcome to the Eye on Annapolis Local Business Spotlight. There are thousands of locally owned businesses in the area, some small and some large. Some you may know and others you don't. But one thing they all have in common is a great story, and we want to share it with you. Join us every Saturday as we talk to the founders, the owners, and the managers of local businesses you have come to know and love, and those you will come to know and love. Now here's your host, John Frenet, with this week's Local Business Spotlight. Well, we're sitting here in an old gas station, a really old gas station, but we're here with Dr. Carrie Muller, who is with Hoffman Animal Hospital over here on the Broadneck Peninsula. They're at 15 Old Mill Bottom Road, sort of tucked behind the uh, BMW and the Mini dealership. And it's no longer a gas station, but it's a wonderful veterinary practice. How are you? Good. Thank you for having me. And, and if we hear any barks or meows or stuff like that, nothing to worry about. It's all part of the game. So how long have you been a, a vet? Um, I've actually been practicing for uh, the last eight, going on nine years. Um, and traditionally, I have worked in emergency medicine and then more recently has transitioned over to family practice, um, looking for trying to create those client relationships, um, being able to see puppies as they grow from being a puppy to an older dog is, is very rewarding um, as compared to the you know one visit here on emergency there and here. Okay, I think that's pretty funny that you talked about emergency care and family practice because you would normally hear that as a with a with a human doctor, but I guess that's so true with with the animals as yep, well. Yep, absolutely. So, where, where did you go to school for veterinary? Um, I went to school at Western University of Health Sciences. It's okay. over in California. Channel my father here because he used to do this now. Did you get good grades? I got great grades. Okay. <laughs> you know, my, my dad was always the big one when he goes to see a doctor. He says, okay, that's great that you went to Harvard, but where did you graduate in your class? <laughs> you know, I'd, I'd much rather have the number one guy at a lower tier school than the, the bottom of the barrel. That's so true. Uh, but Hoffman Animal Hospital has been here for quite a while, though, hasn't it? It has. We were uh, formed in 1992 by Dr. Lisa Hoffman, and she privately owned it until very recently. So about 30 years we have been um, here serving the Annapolis area. And is she still practicing or? She does. She is on a, a modified retirement where she gets to choose their days. She gets to come in, still kind of see the clients that she wants to um, see here and there, and then also cover for us. So we do very much enjoy when she comes in and uh, spends the day with us. But for the majority of her time, she is enjoying her time over at Cape St. Clair. Oh, that's awesome. You know, I've talked to so many businesses that have started and have a long history in the founder or the owner or perhaps the second or third generation whatever is now retired and they're always like oh yeah but they never retire <laughs> they, they, they come in they stir up trouble and they leave i wouldn't say that she's stirring up trouble by any means no we very much love having her here well i'll tell you a you know you you work with animals all the time and and let's face it that pets are family um in many cases uh pets are probably preferable to family that's true <laughs> To that series. But now, what types of animals do you specialize in? Any types of animals here, or do you? I mean, I can I can I bring my horse? Uh, no, we can't <laughs> see your horse. Um, don't think we have the space for that. So we predominantly see dogs and cats. Um, we can see exotics on an emergency basis. So exotics are your small guinea pigs or you know ferrets, but um, but predominantly we're going to care for your dog and your cat. I imagine that's probably very true of, uh, well, I mean, that's the majority of, of the pets in the world. That's true. Uh, so with any practice there as well. Um, now, I mean, what are the capabilities here? I mean, you guys are seeing, I, I took a quick little tour before we started talking, and it seems like you are a, a very small but mighty, as far as small but, but footprint. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, that is a very uh, good way to describe this practice. So um, it's Dr. Gostyla and myself. So Dr. Gostyla has over 19 years of veterinary practice, um, so very senior as well. Um, and both of us are very capable of performing just general soft tissue surgeries, um, dental surgeries, periodontal surgeries. And then we're also able to do just the everyday preventative care. And we're really focused on trying to keep these animals healthy so that way we don't have to do, you know, extensive medical uh, treatment, but we are able to hospitalize for the day, which is um, something that's very helpful for some of these animals that just need a day's care. We well, said periodontal surgery. Now that and stuff like that, is that a fairly new thing for animals? Like you know the scaling and the and everything else. I mean, when I was growing up, okay. Now, granted, that was a long time ago, but you didn't think about that. That was just crazy. But is it how important is that? Yeah, that's a great question, and it comes up frequently, actually, and it really stems from the fact that we know more about animals now than we did back, you know, 20, 30 years ago, and we didn't realize before that they can actually feel and they exhibit signs of pain from periodontal disease and dental disease a lot more than we're giving them credit for because they hide it pretty well, um, and what we're finding is that if we're able to do the scaling, do that cleaning, you know, every year to two years, depending on, you know, what breed a dog or a cat we're talking about, um, we can really extend their life by minimizing infection to the rest of the body, by minimizing inflammation in the mouth, um, and minimizing their pain and discomfort. You know, I had had heard and recently learned this as well, but that uh, teeth health is uh, critical to humans as far as it's really connected to heart health as well. Yes, yes. And I think that's the other part of it, too, is we're really understanding now how it's all interconnected. Um, even you know, when we talk about you know, different uh, you know, GI microbes that are there, you know, in humans, we know that different microbes can affect even how you feel, so depression, et cetera. And surprisingly, a lot of that research does come from the animal side. So as humans learn more, we get to learn more. True. That makes sense. Now, again, back to the practice. I mean, you've got a, a surgery suite, maybe. Is that mm-hmm. what, you're, what we're That gonna, is what, what it's referred to, yep. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> oh, but as far as, I mean, emergency surgery, okay, all of a sudden my dog just ate a hair tie. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that a dog would ever think of doing something like that. They do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, or something like that. That's something that you can handle? That is something that we can handle. Um, The limitations we have is we do not have overnight care. And so typically what we'll do is we will stabilize a patient. We will get them in a much better place from that emergent uh, position to being more stable. And then once we're able to stabilize them, we'll transfer them over to an overnight facility. So that's a 24-hour care hospital. But, um, but yep, if your dog has an emergency, you definitely give us a call. We are able to you know, really facilitate that, help them feel a lot better, and get them in a lot quicker sometimes than the emergency rooms are because they're inundated. Well, I know, I've talked to several friends that have used in certain instances, and I, I'm going to draw a blank on the name, but there's one sort of tucked off behind Bestgate Road. You know, they've said that it's like... Of course, you're panicked. That's your that's your loved one mm-hmm. that's in pain or, or whatever it is. And it's like, okay, well, my gosh, I waited like four hours there. It's like, well, three minutes shorter than you would wait in the emergency room if you went to the <laughs> yeah, hospital as a human. But that's, um, you know, but, you know, you sit there and you look. I mean, you're not 24-7 as far as no, we are working. Not. Your website is hoffmanah.com. And that's uh, one end in Hoffman. Uh, mm-hmm. And... Plastered across the front of it, you've got a big old logo that says you are a fear-free practice or a fear-free. Now, is that fear-free to the animal or to the owner? (laughs) Great question. And what is it? (laughs) 
probably both. Um, it's really more focused on the animal. So that's another really great uh, transition in veterinary practice over the last several years is that we now have this certification for veterinarians, uh, technicians, as well as our client service representatives to become fear-free certified. And so Dr. Gustayla and myself are both fear-free certified. We've gone through that additional training to really focus on trying to create the vet experience with minimal stress as possible. And so that is by helping that animal understand that we are here to give them treats, we're here to give them love, we're here to give them toys as distraction. Um, and then in some cases, educating a client on how to train the animal to come to a place where they're desensitized. They don't really feel that stress of coming into the vet clinic. Well, sure. Everybody, I think, you knows, you know, has has the dog that says, come on, oh, car ride, car ride. Yep, yep. Oh, shh, we're going to the vet. This yep, is horrible. Yep. <laughs> I'm getting a shot. Yes. And so it's really focusing on the experience of the animal. So even as simple as the pictures we have up or the color of the rooms, um, we are starting painting to actually this week, which is super exciting to change our colors over to something that we know that animals can appreciate as being more comforting and owners calming as well. Um, the other part is we don't wear white coats because we know that white is very a stark color for animals. They see colors differently than we do. And so no more white coats that you'll see. Um, and we're on the floor with the animal. As soon as the animal comes in, we sit on the floor with them and we don't want to lift them onto the table immediately because we want them to get comfortable with us um, and not feel that immediate panic of I'm going to put my feet on a you know stark metal table. There's no metal tables here. So um, it's really focused on creating that experience from the minute they walk through the door to the minute they leave. And they're like, ah, that wasn't so bad. That's so cool. Yeah. And and did you just debunk a, a, the theory that animals are colorblind? Um, they. <laughs> that's a great question because I don't think we can ask them. But based off of research, we know that they can see some colors, but they can see them differently than uh, we can see them. So you're, I mean, we're in a room right now that's green and very pale yellow. Mm -hmm. um, you're looking at these colors or maybe this room hasn't been done but these are comforting colors for animals so this room hasn't been done um so this is part of that painting process is that you know this green color is probably interpreted differently to the animals than we are giving it credit to so focusing more is on the grays the blues those are soothing colors to animals and to humans interesting mm -hmm. interesting wow what is the most what is the most common issue i mean we all have dogs and cats and what tends to be the most common issue that you see uh, that I, I guess both I guess from a preventative type of a care and an emergency type of a care so I think for the you know preventative type of care, well, I wouldn't say preventative is the right word, but the most common issue would be allergies. Um, we are definitely seeing a huge rise in dogs and cats having allergies. And we don't quite know whether in some cases it's environmental allergies, it could be a flea bite sensitivity, it could also be a food allergy. And I think what we're really identifying, particularly with the food allergy, is it's more associated with the protein than it is grain. I think a lot of uh, media has really pushed the grain-free diets. That's going to be the best thing for your pet because they're not going to react. Um, but more recent uh, literature and research has shown that that's not the case. It's the protein in the food. And so focusing more on novel proteins that they may not have experienced yet. You know, all food has chicken um, or beef. Those are the big proteins right. that we see that they can have allergies to. So switching them over to things like fish, rabbit, kangaroo, crazy things like that um, can actually make them be less itchy. And we don't 
don't have to deal with a lot of the ear infections that they're getting. Now, is that is that like sort of a uh, trial and error type of a thing? Let's change up the food. I mean, or is it, mm-hmm. or do you have the okay? Let's irritate the skin and. You know. That's a good question. So we have both. Um, for food, typically it's trial and error. So we're you know trying different foods that you know they may not react to as much. Um, for environmental allergies, we do have allergy testing, but a lot of the times we focus more on treating the the symptoms. So trying to remove that itch cycle with different medications that can target just individual cytokines or mediators within the body that stops the itching altogether. Well, I know my Shih Tzu had a uh, you know, getting a bunch of ear infections. It was you know a combination between these low to the ground, the long hair, the the floppy ears, the whole nine yards. But uh, when it would get bad, I mean the itching and and everything mm-hmm. else. And I mean we we ultimately changed, which surprised me, but it was changed up the food. Right. It seems like such a an uncommon way to approach an ear infection, right? But you know, really, it's trying to reduce that inflammation in that ear canal altogether. From an emergency standpoint, what are the dumb things that dogs and cats do that that wind them up in your surgeries? Oh, man, eat <laughs> everything. It... If you think that a dog won't eat it, uh, they probably did. And I hate to Honey, say Honey, where's that. the vacuum cleaner? <laughs> exactly. Um, I think my favorite x-ray was an, an army man, one of those little uh, oh, the GI army. rangers. Yeah, and you can like literally see him charging in the middle of the intestines as, with his uh, oh. baton up in the air. What do you do with that? Just wait for it to... Unfortunately, it is surgery. So um, in certain situations, we can wait for it to pass. But I would say the majority of the time, what's safer for the dog is to surgically take it out. I would guess if you have sharp edges and, mm-hmm. you know, ways to perforate through the intestine system and everything else yeah, is probably a, a it risk. Is, it is that risk. And then it's also, we have a lot of twists and turns in our intestines with different valves. And so once it gets to that twist or that turn, it's not going to move. And so we know that... Depending on where it is or how far it's gotten down the intestines, a pretty good chance of whether this you know size of whatever we ate is going to pass or not. And so surgically taking it out is just going to minimize how much care we're going to have to do. In a situation like that, I bring my dog in. He's eating my kid's G.I. Joe. And you, you're like, oh, my gosh, he's in pain. We take him back. We do x-rays. And you say, oh, yeah, he ate the G.I. Joe. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he ate the yeah. army man. Can you then do you do the surgery then at that point? I mean, as far as, I mean, obviously the room has to be available and stuff like that. But I mean, are you able to get them in very quickly like that? Or is that more something like, okay, here, take, uh, you know, take this Valium and come back in in the morning? <laughs> um, so it does depend on, you know, the day, the caseload, whether someone is using surgery. But really it's focused on what is best for the pet. So if we feel that that pet needs overnight hospitalization, then we're probably going to refer you over to the emergency room where they would do the surgery there and then keep the pet for overnight monitoring. If it's a stable patient that can you know, have an in-and-out uh, outpatient surgery, then yes, that is something that we could try to facilitate here. But most of the emergency stuff, is that mostly outpatient, do you find? That we're seeing? Yeah. Yeah, I would say most of them are. So, like, chocolate ingestions are a big one. You know, come in and Mm -hmm. we'll spend the day on some fluids. We'll make sure that we're nice and stable before we go home. Um, Those are the the Mm -hmm. easy Carpet, thank you. Yeah. And the other thing with, you know, um, talking about eating things... If we have a dog that just ate something, a lot of the times I can get it back up by just inducing vomiting. And so if we see an animal eat something that you're like, ooh, that's a little big, like a sock or underwear, those are the big ones, um, bring them in immediately. And we can induce vomiting with a medication and save you that surgery or that trip to the emergency room. What is the fascination? I mean, you've gotten gotten experience with dogs here, but what is their fascination with dirty underwear and dirty socks? They never go for the clean ones, okay? They're always... (laughs) 
What, what is the fascination with it? I'm sure it's the smell, right? It's just, it's just something. Oh, this probably is... as delicious as their poop they're going to eat outside. So. Oh. Yeah, I don't get that one. Don't get that one either. I, I have no idea. What would anybody that's listening to this be surprised to know about Hoffman Animal Hospital? That's um, what's unique about you that we don't know. I think uh, what's really unique about Hoffman Animal Hospital is you have um, you know doctors that are really focused on that fear-free aspect. You're not going to find that in every practice um, that focuses on that visit from the beginning to the end that really want to try to help the, the dog or the cat to not be scared of us. We want to, to be here because a puppy coming in, if we create a bad experience for them and they are very terrified of the vet after that, it's only going to uh, propagate and get more scared, more scared, more scared. And then sometimes we get to a point where we can't even touch the animal because they're so terrified that they're reactive. And so our goals are trying to prevent that from the very t- first time that we meet you and your pet is to find out what are their you know triggers or tricks that really help calm them down. And so we'll, we'll have that conversation with you to see what best treats they like, um, how do they like to be handled, what are their you know trigger spots. Oh, he hates his paws touched. It's like, all right, well, let's work on you know desensitizing him with his paws. And that way, every time he comes in for a nail trim, this isn't going to be a traumatic event for him. Cool. Now, when animals need medication... Uh, you guys are sort of a pseudo pharmacy as well, right? That's correct. We carry a fair amount of medications here in hospital. Um, we also have an online pharmacy as well. So uh, we utilize what's called VetSource, where we can help you get that medication even shipped over to your house. Um, and so that is a really helpful for some of these animals that are on medications recurrently every single month um, that we can just create regular shipments to the house so you don't have to come in here. Oh, that makes it easy. So, I mean, if I'm coming home and you give me a bottle of antibiotics or whatever it is and I need to follow through for three weeks, you can have it shipped directly to me? Yeah, yeah um, we can have for the it shipped follow-up. directly for the follow-up. Okay, yeah, that makes. I guess that makes sense for some of these animals that are on, like, like you said, the recurring things that mm-hmm. be able to get that there as well. Right. Is this still privately owned or is this a... It's a good question. So it's actually owned by Vetevolve. So Vetevolve is a small corporation that owns several practices in the uh, Maryland, Pennsylvania, Delaware, and Virginia area. Okay. Um, and that was one of the main reasons I actually joined Hoffman was because of who owned the this practice. They're small. They're still very family-focused. And they want to make sure that we maintain our autonomy here. So they're there to help us with the back-end stuff. So things like HR, things like help uh, with supplies um, or getting supplies and getting you know different contracts with different vendors. But when it comes to the everyday decisions that are made here, it's made by myself and Jen Pollock, who's our hospital director. Let's get into like the fun stuff here. Okay, you see, how many animals do you see in a day? Um, I would say about 20 to 30 patients, yeah. What's the breed du jour of dogs? <laughs> um, you mean... I mean, are, are doodles still the thing? The doodles are still a thing. I do think I see a lot of doodles, but labs and golden retrievers are pretty pretty popular around here. Those, those are the... They're the happiest dogs. You never, you never see a golden that's not like smiling. That's true. I had one when I was little, and he had some kind of a bad allergy or something or other. But we ended up having to shave him, Mm -hmm. and that was—I've never seen a sad golden. But I mean, a he looked sad, but he really felt he wouldn't come out of the garage. It was just like this is this is beyond emasculating. Yes, (laughs) yeah. I can't, I can't do this. Here, I'll just just swing my butt outside of the garage and poop out of the garage because I know I'm not supposed to do it. But I'm not going to go see my friends. Uh, Goldens are wonderful. Is that are the doodles still like 
It's still pretty huge. Yeah, no, I think that they, I mean, they ha- they carry a lot of really great characteristics, right? They are great for uh, families that have allergies to dogs because they don't have that dander like other dogs do. And then the other thing is they don't shed very much, so that's always like a plus. And they're smart. They are smart. They, uh, You know, my girlfriend had one, and this dog could, you couldn't lock her in anywhere. You know, it would be like, okay, well, I'm going to turn this round doorknob and go outside. And, you know, you'd, I mean, you'd have to lock the deadbolt. Yeah, um, yeah. To get in, she would close the door when she came back in. Oh, my goodness. Um, put muffins in the microwave. That worked okay for about three months until she figured out she could get up and push the button and the door pops open. And it's... Uh, <laughs> like I said, they'll eat anything. <laughs> they'll, they'll figure it. And, and the muffins... So you always had to buy the muffins that were dog. Yes. <laughs> even though you had no intention of doing it. What is some good advice? I mean, I would love for... And we all would love for our pets... Uh, our family members to live forever mm-hmm. um, or at least outlive us because it's always so hard, you know, when they've lived a good life and having to put them down or mm-hmm. maybe an illness or something like that. But what, what's the best advice to a pet owner to make sure that you are able to give your family member, uh, your four-legged furry family member, yeah. a, you know, the longest life that they possibly can? So I think it's twofold. One is to ensure that we do preventative care. So we keep up on our prevention vaccines. So those are uh, diseases that are very preventable, right? That we can make sure that they're not going to get sick because we can give them these vaccines. Um, And then the other part of it is the screening. So when we come in for yearly screening, we're doing a complete physical, but we're also probably going to recommend some blood work and urine. And that's really to screen for any underlying diseases that just might be creeping or trending a little bit higher so we can get ahead of the animal becoming sick and sometimes preventing really big problems in the future. The second part of that is, you know, pet insurance. So put a little plug in for pet insurance. So in order to make sure that they're going to live that long, healthy life, it sometimes becomes financially uh, burdensome for some people. And so really starting that pet insurance when they're young, when they're healthy, and when the premiums are going to be the lowest per month and usually stay low um, as they get older versus now they're a lot older and they have pre-existing conditions and that premium is going to be really, really high. My daughter has two dogs. Um... Her boyfriend has two big dogs, and I think they're both psycho, but to have all that many. But uh, she also did get the pet insurance, and she had one dog that uh, was had to put down because there was a brain tumor that Mm -hmm. um, came in. But, again, the pet insurance, you know, saved it uh, to be able to do it. I think it was through some Visa card or something, and you put it all through some Visa card. Exactly, and it just takes that decision away of... Do I have to do this because my you know animal's really sick, or do I have to do this because I just can't afford the care? Well, it, it is. And I was reading an article yesterday in Vox that was talking about the nationwide issue of animals being turned back into the shelters. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it is you know COVID-related in that, hey, we're sitting at home. Let's get a puppy. Let's get a dog. Let's get a cat. Let's you know get a llama, whatever the heck it is. <laughs> and now all of a sudden it's like, oh, this is, this is a commitment. Or, oh, we, we have to go back to work now. We can't work at home, so we don't have, and there, you know, shelters are just overrun. I know the SPCA of Anne Arundel County is overrun mm-hmm. with, uh, with animals. I mean, they're doing the best they can to get them out as well. 
Are you an advocate of adopting from or rescuing? <laughs> um, I think it depends on the family and the situation. Um, and that's something that we can definitely help with here. So even if you don't have a pet, I'm happy to sit down and talk with you about which pet might be best for your family based off of your lifestyle, based off of the amount of exercise you can give them, and then also what your needs are. And sometimes that conversation really prevents a lot of that rehoming that you're talking about where we think that we want the extremely active gold or German shepherd that, but we just can't do, you know, eight walks a day. Um, and so, you know, having that conversation with your veterinarian is very important to ensure that this is going to be a best fit. Well, we do uh, speak with the SPCA quite a bit. And, and some of the stories I hear about why animals are turned back in and it just breaks your heart when you sit there and you uh, just yesterday, it was, there was a, what was it? it was a Maltese poodle mix seven years old they got it with a puppy and the couple was never married but they broke up and they couldn't agree on which one was you know and i'm like that's heartbreaking it's heartbreaking for the dog but also for the the you know dog parents yeah. right nobody wants to give up their no. their pet so so yeah trying to prevent those situations and, and also just being here to help support during some of the situations too to be creative on how maybe we can keep that pet in your home do pit bulls get a bad rap they do get a bad rap, um, and I think unrightly so. So with some good training and conditioning and sensitization, you know, we can have a really good pet there. I think that's true with any pet. Exactly. Um, I, I mean, I, you know, I'm admittedly somewhat leery of pit bulls. Mm -hmm. uh, not afraid of them, but just leery of them. Mm -hmm. uh, I am probably more afraid of chihuahuas. I was just about <laughs> to say that. So, <laughs> and, I have the and you know, I think unfortunately they get a bad rap because they have such strong jaw bones um, and jaw muscles. Excuse me. And so those strong jaw muscles are going to just cause more damage than your little chihuahua, who might actually be a little more aggressive. Well, and, and also you typically with the, what is this, the American Staffordshire? Is that mm -hmm. what the, the formal name of a pit bull is? I mean, they're beefy dogs. They're strong dogs. So, I mean, it, it takes a lot to control them. I mean, you've got to have somebody that knows how to handle the dog. And the dog needs to be trained, too. And unfortunately, yep. a, a lot of, you know, they're used for fighting and they're used for protection and, and, and the whole nine yards. And, and some of them are trained to be a little bit more aggressive or not trained to be or not trained to be not aggressive, I guess right. is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Um, but with proper training and care and love, it, it can be turned around. Absolutely. I've seen the biggest teddy bears of a pit bull um, as compared to some others. And we have some really great uh, training uh, different programs as well as individuals in the Annapolis area. And so that's another one too, that if we're having issues with behavior or if, if we're having issues that are causing owners to want to consider maybe rehoming because of behavior uh, concerns, um, as long as it's safe to continue in the household, but we have some great uh, resources for training for owners as well. That's awesome. Can people be cat people and dog people? Yes. together yes of course no we have a lot that um will come in and i'll see both the dog and the cat in the room at the same time they're best of buds and what are you what am i are you a dog person or a cat person i am a dog person so i do love my german shepherds shepherds are great I, gr I grew up with them and uh okay not the most politically correct story to tell on this <laughs> but when i when i was growing up we had a, a German Shepherd was actually a reject from the police department. So he did some uh, training and stuff like that, but it was hip dysplasia mm -hmm. and they were just not going to put him through that. So they just sort of rejected him and we adopted him. He was great. He had all the training in the world and everything else. My parents were divorcing. My dad came home and my sister and my dad got into it. And I'm like probably five or six. And uh, my sister, for some reason, calls my dad a bastard. My dad's like, okay, that's it, girl. You've had it. 
She runs up into their bedroom. She's pushing the furniture against the door and stuff like that. My dad's trying to break down the door to get into her and going to lay one right across her butt. Oh, my goodness. As he's getting in there, he locks the dog in the bathroom. And my sister's there, and she's just about to get smacked on the butt. And she's like, John, let him out. Let him out. Let him out. And I'm looking, and I'm going, but Lisa, you're a jerk. And to my sister, you know. And, and then I go, but you know what? If that was me, I'd probably want you to open the door and let the dog in. So I opened the door. And the dog came out, and my dad was literally just about to smack her butt. The dog comes up behind him in between his legs, just closes the mouth. It wasn't a bite, yeah. and backed up. And it was like, I'm in control here. <laughs> you know, you're going to come back here with me. <laughs> you know, we, we had one when my kids were younger, too. And I, I remember coming in at 1 o'clock with two-thirds of my kids. One was homesick with my ex-wife mm-hmm. sleeping, and... Uh, the dog always slept on the landing mm-hmm. of the house because it was if you're leaving, you're going through me. If you're coming in, you're going through me. I think that was the, mm-hmm. the mental. And she lost track. And anyhow, comes we come in and she goes flying down the steps and she's squatting. out. She's snarling. And I'm like, shh, shh, shh. And she's like, oh, God, thank gosh, it's you. And so we all go to bed. The next morning I go down and there's this big, huge puddle of pee where she was doing her snarling. So I'm oh. sure she's sitting there going like, oh, no, I've got to do dog stuff. What do I do? What do I do? <laughs> They're just such wonderful dogs. They are, and they're very loyal. And, um, you know, I'm a prior naval officer, and then my husband was a prior Marine Corps officer. And we, we got to work a lot with the uh, military working dogs, which is, I think, where a lot of our love came from for the shepherds. I, I've got to also, we're getting way off topic, but some of the dogs and the service dogs that they can do mm-hmm. are amazing. I mean, uh, my friend of mine is a fire marshal for the county, and he's got an arson detection dog. And I saw a video one time where they threw a match. Mm-hmm. In the middle of a field, just mm-hmm. just a match of a like a cornfield or something like that. Yeah. And uh, I dropped the dog off, and I was like, okay. And it was just like, boom, boom, sat, and within about two minutes, found exactly where the match was. Right. And um, there was a girl in Suburna Park that had some sort of a narcolepsy thing, where she, and it wasn't narcolepsy because she was tested, but mm-hmm. it was she just we could be talking just now, and all of a sudden she'd go pass out and go down. She's going to school in Colorado, which wasn't the best place, you know, mm-hmm. with yeah, mountains yeah, and stuff yeah. like that. To, but it could be in, walking in the middle of the street. It could be eating dinner. It could mm-hmm. be hiking. It could be in class, just out cold. And they found a dog that was able to train. And the dog went through like 20 weeks of training. And then she went with eight weeks of training to this thing. And it's amazing. I mean, she walks with this dog everywhere. And it senses an episode coming on. And it just mm-hmm. nudges her in her thigh. And it's like, hey. Girl, sit down. Absolutely. Yeah, we yes. have um, Dog Training Elite is a, a local uh, training program for service dogs. And they I've worked with them, and they have done phenomenal things where they've trained hundreds and hundreds of dogs um, that are for diabetics. And they can actually let you know when your blood sugar is too low, um, alert you of that, so you then know to go and find treatment for yourself. Dude, eat an orange. That is awesome. Well, Dr. Mahler, thank you so much for your time today. Wonderful practice. I'm really kind of psyched about the, uh, the fear-free thing. That mm-hmm. is pretty, pretty cool to see how that works. Yeah. And uh, the capabilities here at Hoffman Animal Hospital. And again, it's mm-hmm. website is Hoffman, H-O-F-F-M-A-N-A-H.com. If you go out Route 50, you do see them on the left side if you're heading over toward the eastern shore just before the uh, BMW and the, the mini dealership. Real easy to get to right off of Baydale Drive. And uh, if you are looking for a veterinary practice, uh, you know, come check them out. That's for sure. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to this week's Local Business Spotlight. Please make sure to visit ionanapolis.net for all your local news, events, and opinion. 
And in case you haven't already, please subscribe to the Eye on Annapolis Daily News Brief, where we bring you all the day's local news direct to your phone, tablet, or computer in about 10 minutes. It comes to you at 6 a.m. every Monday through Friday, and you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.